0: And our scripture reading is from John 8, 12 through 20, and this is found on page 894 of your Pew Bible if you'd like to use that. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Brookside Campus of Christ Community. My name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my joy now to uh, lead us through a time of teaching uh, where we unpack that one verse that we forced you to stand for. You probably were like, really? We just had to stand for that. Um, But it's a really, really important verse that we're going to get to. And as we start this morning, uh, I'm going to make a confession to you. Uh, I feel like now that our lead pastor, Bill, is on sabbatical, I can have the freedom to share this part of my life without any fear of, of repercussions or anything like that. Uh, some of you might be shocked to hear this. Some of you might boo me. Uh, you might cheer. I honestly don't know what kind of a reaction to expect, but I need to smart, start off this morning by letting you know uh, that I really, 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 really don't like country music some cheers, a couple boos. Okay, mixed response, kind of what I I expected. I just don't like it. Listen, I will listen to just about any other kind of music before I choose to listen to country music. It's just not my thing. Now, some of you like it, and that's cool. (laughs) But in my personal opinion, country music is far more fun to make fun of than to actually listen to. Uh, when I was in, thank you for that, amen, that's great. When I was in college, um, my friends and I had this tradition when we would go on road trips where we, ha- we would play this game where we'd turn on a country music station and we had a list of several buzzwords that we'd listen for. Um, so maybe like a pickup truck or a dirt road, cold beer, Radio, blue jeans, my girls, we just had a list of them. And whenever one of those words was mentioned in a song, we would have to switch the station. And you would be shocked at how fast we, almost every time, we would switch the station because of of just those words that just keep getting repeated. I just don't like it. It's not my jam. But there is one caveat to all of this. And it's that there's one country song that has never failed to hype me up. When I was in middle school and high school, our our church worship team would play it at youth group and the church was never crazier than when we played this one song. It's a song that was written surprisingly in 1948 by a man named Hank Williams. Does anyone guess what this song is maybe? I saw the light, right? Man, that song slaps, what a great song. Now I should say in advance, I should offer, extend an apology uh, because you might have this song stuck in your head the rest of the day uh, because it's super catchy. So depending on how you feel about country music, uh, either I'm sorry or you're welcome, but this might be stuck in your head. But the words of the song, if you actually think about them, actually ring with, with incredible, incredible hope. And, and I'm actually just going to have us take a listen to a, a section I of the song. I so life filled with sin I wouldn't let my dear Savior in Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night Praise the Lord, I saw the light I saw the light, I saw the light No more darkness, no more night Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside Praise the Lord, I saw the light yeah, I heard some of you singing along out there as, as we went. Just, it makes me want to dance right now. Uh, what, a, what a great catchy song. But as much joy and hope as there are in this chorus, there's something that is really sobering about this song against the backdrop of Hank Williams' life. I have little doubt that Hank meant what he wrote. I think he meant it seriously and fully. But in all likelihood, Hank Williams was drunk when he wrote this song. In fact, if you know anything about Hank's story, you know that he spent most of his life intoxicated. He was born with a spinal condition and lived in in almost constant pain, and at least in part, this led him to intense alcoholism and morphine abuse and other very destructive behaviors. Even sadder is the fact that he died at age 29 in the back of his car, surrounded by empty beer cans and unfinished songs. Which leaves us to ask the question, did he really see the light? And if he did, did it do him any good? That's a depressing story, right? We feel it in the room. But I think we also feel it because it resonates with so many of us. It resonates with me. Because it feels like so often both the light and the darkness are at war in my life. I long for the light. I yearn for the light. But there's so much darkness that I experience around me. And if I'm honest, so much darkness that I experience within me. As I think about Hank Williams' story, as I think about my own story, as I think about the many stories in this room, many of which I know in part, as I think of the history of the world and the story of Jesus, I can't help but wonder can light really overcome darkness? Can light really overcome darkness? We're continuing our journey this morning through the the middle part of John's Gospel uh, in a series that we're calling Signs of Life. And we're taking each week to to look at a different signpost that, that Jesus used to point to who he is and where abundant life can be found. And this week, he makes one of the most bold and one of the biggest claims and offers that he has yet. Here's what he says, John 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, packed into this single verse is a reality that Jesus wants us to know, an invitation that he extends to us and a promise that he makes to us. And I think if we're able to grasp this reality, reality truly, if we're able to, to fully respond to this invitation, and if we're able to cling to this promise, we'll begin to see how it can be possible for the light of Jesus to overcome the darkness both around us and within us. So with the rest of our time, we're gonna look at a reality, an invitation, and a promise. Got the flow? All right, let's let's dive in. Here's the first thing that Jesus claims. It's the reality that he wants us to grasp. It's this. He claims, I am the light. That's the reality. I am the light. Now the concept of light is is loaded with with imagery and meaning both for us today, uh, but also for the first century Jewish people of Jesus' day. So it's important to unpack some of these ideas if we're gonna get a good picture of what Jesus is really getting at when he says, I am the light. And the first thing that we need to know about the light is that without light, there would be no life. Without light, we can't have life. If you would have gone up to one of the first century Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to, and you would mention the word light to them, probably the first place their mind would go would be back to Genesis chapter one at the very beginning of their scriptures. That's where we first see the word light mentioned. And here's what it says. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. This is the very first act, the very first action that God takes in the narrative of creation. He calls light forth into the world the hebrew phrasing here many scholars observe conveys the idea that the light actually was already around and what god's doing in this moment when he speaks that word is he's sending light that was already in existence into a dark world a dark chaotic creation and then after the light arrives the light then becomes the source of the sun and the moon and the stars that are created three days later on day four so three days later so light exists before sun moon and stars. Now here's why this matters. Many Jewish and Christian scholars have taken this to be the earliest indication that light radiates from God himself. That light radiates from God. In other words, to talk about the very presence of God is to talk about light itself, which would square with what the the Apostle John who wrote this gospel will say later in a letter that he wrote. First John 1 verse 5. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So in Hebrew thought, light comes from God. And the light that comes from God is what gives life to the world. Because if you think back to Genesis 1, only after light is created can all the various plants and animals and people that God creates live, because they need the light. Just consider what would happen in our world if the sun disappeared for good. If the sun never came back around and just disappeared. How many of the good things that God created for us to enjoy would slowly die, including ourselves? We might also think of it a different way when we think of the way that a lack of light drains life from our souls from the many of us who experience some form of seasonal affective disorder, right? Light is important for life. That's why Jesus calls it the light of life in our text this morning, because without light, nothing could live on earth. We could also say the same thing this way, that light sustains good things. Light sustains goodness. Without it, we can't have life. Here's the second thing we need to know about light, and that's that without it, we can't see what's really there. Seems pretty self-explanatory, right? But without light, we can't see what's really there. Jesus says what he says here in John 8, actually uh, during a celebration known as the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths looks back to a time when the Israelites were, were wandering in the wilderness, and some of you might know the story, but God gave them a light to guide them At night, in their wanderings. In fact, while he speaks, there's a good chance that Jesus is standing in the temple in the middle of four lamps that are meant to help remember this moment in Exodus 13 when we read this. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So first, notice again how the concept of light is associated with the very presence of God. It is this light, God himself, that showed Israel where to go when it was dark. It guided his people through the dark and desolate wilderness. And it's important to remember, too, that that we have light in almost an abundant access today, But that's only a very recent thing that we have light kind of on demand, right? For most of human history, we didn't have electricity. You couldn't control light. And that's what the the people of Israel experienced and God gave them his light. Most of us, to some degree, I would say, are are, probably have a healthy fear of the dark. Some of us, it might be more than others, but uh, I would at least say that I have kind of a healthy fear of the dark. Just think about like when you go out into your yard uh, in the dead of night, or if you've ever found yourself in a dark forest or or cave, the fear you might sense, what is that really fear of? I think that fear isn't the reality of darkness itself, but what the darkness might be hiding, right? When we're afraid of the dark, we're really afraid of the unknown, of what we can't see. There could be a, a cougar or a bug, or a cliff that you just walk off, or another person waiting there for you. When you're afraid of the dark, you're really afraid of the things that you can't see, the things that are unknown to you. And that's the reason that light, like a flashlight, is is so helpful in the darkness, because it shines light on the unknown. It shows us what's really there hidden by the darkness, like a, a black light uncovering the most hidden dirt and grime. In a similar way, the prophet Isaiah predicted that a light like this would come to reveal the true God of Israel to the other nations who did not know him. He says this, he says, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. In other words, he's going to make his servant and the people of Israel a light that reveals the true God who is unknown to them. And all this imagery is just reminding us that without light, we can't see what's really there. We could also say it like this. Light not only sustains goodness, but light reveals truth. Light reveals truth. Here's the third thing that we need to know about light. Without light, we can't experience beauty. Without light, we can't experience beauty. Some of you in this room are artists. And as any good artist knows, light is essential for the experience of beauty, right? And the scriptures make the same connection. Look, for example, at Psalm 104. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He wraps himself Again, we see here that the idea that light is connected to the beauty and glory and presence of God himself. But what we also see in this verse is the role that, that light plays in reflecting the beauty and glory of God to the world around us, through the world that he created. And if we think back to Genesis 1 again, this makes perfect sense, right? Not only was light necessary for the good things God made to exist, it also was necessary for the beauty of God to be displayed in the world around us. If you've ever walked through the Nelson Atkins Museum nearby, or if you've hiked through the Rocky Mountains, or if you've attempted to create an an aesthetically pleasing environment in your home and you just have plants everywhere and all the natural light, you know how light impacts the experience of beauty. Ashton and I, my wife and I, went to Arizona this spring And took some time to enjoy the Desert Botanical Gardens. And my favorite part of that experience, actually, was the exhibit they had of the artwork of a man named Dale Chihuly. And it was glass-blown artwork, like what you can see up here on the screen. And this wasn't just my favorite part because it was in a building with air conditioning, although that helped. (laughs) It was my favorite part because of the beauty that just radiated from the various colors and glass shapes. It was just absolutely staggering. And the different places you stood, the different ways the light would make it look different. Now on the wall as you walked into this exhibit was this quote from the artist. He said, glass is the most magical of all materials. It transmits light in a special way. I want people to be overwhelmed with light and color in a way they have never experienced. And friends, I was overwhelmed. Because without light, we can't experience beauty. Light sustains goodness. Light reveals truth. And light reflects beauty. Without it, we can't have life. We can't experience beauty. We can't see what's really there. And all of this, in the background of Jesus' audience, helps us see that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying something along these lines. I am the source of all goodness and beauty and truth. I created and sustain everything that's good. I reveal the truth about God, the truth about the world, the truth about human beings, both the good and the ugly truth. I enable the enjoyment of of true beauty, the beauty of myself, and the beauty of the world that I helped create. I present to you an abundant life that is, yes, true, yes, good, but also aesthetically attractive. Now, for a first-century Jewish person, all of this is another way of making this audacious claim. I am God. I am God. It would have been impossible for them to miss that Jesus was claiming his Divinity. When he said, I am the light. As he stands in the beauty of the temple, illuminated by the lamps around him, Jesus wants his listeners to grasp that reality. I am the light. And he claims to be this light for for the whole world, but after saying that, he extends what is a remarkably personal invitation to his listeners. Look again at what he says in verse 12 I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's the invitation he extends. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. In other words, it's not enough to just see Jesus as the light, as some sort of like distant light that might be kind of helpful. We have to recognize him as our light. That's what Jesus means when he says, follow me. And that's the rub that the Jewish religious leaders have with Jesus in this chapter. They have a hard enough time with the idea that Jesus is outright claiming to be God, the light who creates everything good and beautiful and true. They have an even harder time, though, accepting that they need this light in their own lives. That they need the light in their own lives. If you read on after verse 12 in chapter 8 of John's Gospel, they're going to go back and forth on this idea with Jesus and debate him a little bit. And by the end of this chapter, they are going to try to kill Jesus because of the claims that he's making here. Part of the reason that they do this is because he's going to say things like this in verse 24. I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, the reality that Jesus is the light of the world does no good unless you respond to the invitation to follow If we don't see him for who he really is, and walk actively in his light, we will, he says, be dead in our sins. Now here's the principle that lies behind that idea. As good as light is for our world, which we've talked about already, unmediated exposure to light is actually dangerous and even deadly to us. There's a reason that we have things called sunscreen and sunglasses and an ozone layer, right? Because unmediated access to the sun is, is actually dangerous to us. And in a similar way, the biblical writers tell us that human beings are too sinful to come into the perfect, holy light of God and stay standing if they're still in their sin. Which is why he says to the religious leaders, if they choose to stay in darkness and refuse life with Jesus, they will be dead in their sins. Because eventually, whether they like it or not, they will be fully exposed to the light without anything or anyone to mediate its presence to them. In verse 28, he'll say this to the crowd, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. That's Jesus' way of saying, when I'm crucified, that will confirm everything that I've been saying all along about myself. Friends, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross makes him our mediator. The the Gospels and the the letters say this over and over and over again. That That Jesus' sacrifice on the cross makes him kind of like our sunglasses or our sunscreen or our ozone layer. The person that we need to be with in order to access the light without being consumed by its goodness. So the invitation then still remains for all people. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. In a letter that he wrote at the end of his life, the Apostle John put it this way. We read part of this earlier. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. When Jesus talks about following him or walking in the light, what he's talking about is a way of life that is ongoing and comprehensive. Here's what this means. On Friday, uh, our sweet little dog Hudson turned five years old. Here's a picture of our, our boy. He's the goodest boy in the world. And one thing that has been true of Hudson for his entire life is that he literally cannot stand being apart from us. Like, he just can't do it. He could be three feet away, but there's a gate there, and he's just losing it. Uh, he has to be as close to us as possible, which means he will literally follow me everywhere I go in the house. If I get up and go to another room, he's right there with me. If I go outside, he's going out there with me, and if he's not with me, he's, he's crying. Our other dog, Luna, could care less if we're in the room with her, but as soon as I get up and walk somewhere else, Hudson's right on my tail. He's always walking with me no matter what I'm doing. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus to walk in the the radiance of his light. As C.S. Lewis famously said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Walking in the light is is a comprehensive way of life that touches everything we see. It isn't the kind of thing that you can do for a little bit and stop. Some of Jesus' followers did that. It's not the kind of thing that you can keep at a distance or that you can allow to touch some areas of your life but not others or something that you can even try to do on your own. No, walking in the light involves your whole self and your whole community around you. It means seeking Jesus as a companion, not just as an informant, which is what the Jewish leaders wanted. It means allowing him to expose the darkness in us to the light of his truth. And trusting that He will not leave us because of what He sees. It means actively enjoying the abundant life and goodness that His light brings. It means putting ourselves in the path of His beauty and the beauty of the world around us. It means looking to Jesus to guide us and following Him just as the Israelites followed the fire in the wilderness that lit their way. It means adjusting our worldview to allow the way of Jesus to illuminate everything else, not trying to fit him into our current thought patterns. That's what it looks like to respond to Jesus' invitation to walk in the light. It's comprehensive, it's ongoing, and it takes a community. That's the invitation. I am the light, but it does no good if you don't also walk in my radiance. But if we do that, then Jesus has an unshakable promise for us. This is one of the most incredible promises in all of Scripture. Here's how we can summarize it. You will always carry the light. You will always carry the light. Look one last time at verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That phrase, will not walk in darkness, um, is incredibly emphatic in the original Greek. It was the strongest way that they had to say no or never. It literally means something like this. You will never, ever, 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 ever walk in darkness. That's the promise. Which is fascinating because so many people, it might be your premarital counselor, it might be Justin Bieber, but so many people say, never say never, right? It's a bad thing to say Never. But Jesus goes out of his way to say, you will never walk in darkness. Now, what Jesus isn't saying here is you won't ever struggle with sin again. That's not what he's saying. Although we typically sin when we're not walking in the light. So there's some connection there. That's not what he's saying. What he also isn't saying is you will never feel like you're in darkness again. Because of your suffering or your pain, you're just not going to experience that stuff anymore. That's also not what Jesus is saying. Remember, Jesus himself was on a path marked with suffering and darkness. At the end of John's gospel, when he was lifted up on the cross, darkness covered the earth. So that can't be what Jesus is telling us here. It might help us, I think, to consider an eclipse. Consider an eclipse. Has anyone ever gone outside to watch an eclipse before? If you've ever seen an eclipse, you know that it can be kind of a weird experience. There's a a moment where the sun is, is completely covered that your body begins to fear a little bit, whether you're trying to or not. Your body gets a little weird because you're asking inside what if the sun really goes away? What if it doesn't actually come back? What if the world will stay in darkness forever? And, friends, that's how the darkness of sin and shame and suffering can feel in our lives. That's how the enemy uses them to make us feel. He puts that stuff in front of the Son of Jesus and says, See, he's gone. And we might wonder if the light of the world is still there after all. But that's the thing with an eclipse just because you experience the darkness doesn't mean the sun has ceased to exist. You can walk through darkness and still have the light. So I think Jesus is saying something along these lines. You always carry the light of life with you. Even when you are struggling with sin, even when you feel darkness at war with you, even when you are suffering or in pain or feel totally lost or abandoned by others, you are never alone because you carry the light of life, Jesus himself, in you. As one psalm famously says, even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The light is with me. Friends, this was true for Jesus on the cross. In his darkest moment, when he felt abandoned, when he was suffering at his deepest, when he felt rejected and didn't even feel God's presence with him for the first time in his life, he he had the light with him. And this is true for you, and it's true for me. That when we walk in the light, we do not walk in darkness, and we never will again, because Jesus is the light who shines brighter the more the darkness tries to snuff it out. He's the light that shines brighter the more the darkness tries to snuff it out, no matter how much evil and darkness tries to overcome Jesus, and believe me, it tried. His light shined the brighter, and it still does. And friends, we have the hope that one day the darkness will be completely overcome by the light of the world. Whatever, if you just think about those, the darkness that you're experiencing right now. And I need this preached to me. When you think about that stuff, we have the hope that the darkness will completely be overcome by the light of the world. And on that day, everything good will flourish On that day, everything true will be fully revealed. And on that day, everything beautiful will be reflected like we've never seen it before. Let's close by seeing this vision. The Apostle John saw. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and get this, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we confess this morning that you are light and in you there is no darkness at all. We confess that you are the source of all goodness and truth and beauty that we experience. And we recognize that your goodness would overwhelm us if not for Jesus, our mediator, our Savior. Thank you for the promise that if we follow you, we will never walk in darkness, because we have you, the light of life. But Father, we also confess that that doesn't always shape up with our reality. We confess the darkness that we still experience around and within us. And we take a moment now for each of us to call to mind one area in our lives where we feel like the darkness has covered the sun. Spirit of God, We rely on the fact that you are there with us in each of these areas of life. And we pause again now to ask you to reveal your light shining in that space of darkness. Show us where you are in the midst of that. King Jesus, you invite us to follow you. We pause now to ask you to guide us. Show us what it looks like to walk in your light in that area of our lives that we called to mind. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of his spirit. Amen.